God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to another edition of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the incredible Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well, and I see you're uh, like in the middle of the alphabet. So I've gotten that's down a, to the eyes. That's a um, that's a good thing. That is, you know. You know I'm, I'm for... just waiting for the challenge of the Q and the. <laughs> Oh man, I don't X. even I don't even know what words I would use. Like, I, I, you know, what are the what are positive words? Is quixotic a, a great? Word? Oh, that listen to the you. Q, you got words. You know, but I don't know what I would do with the X. So um, we're just gonna, you know, we have to punt when we get down there. There we but, go. Uh, yeah. So um, we are in on like day six hundred and ninety-seven of quarantine or something ridiculous like that. Um, but that's what it feels like. That is what it feels like. It is finally the month of April. Praise God for that. We have made it out of March. Felt like March went forever. Um, but here we are in April and we've made a decision to shift our focus a little bit. And Lisa, you can talk to this for, for a second. We were, um, in the middle of a season talking about political issues, looking at political issues from different sides. And we had some really good conversations and, um, but we're in the middle of this coronavirus thing and, um, you know, this will help lead into maybe our topic today, but the partisanship, um, is really extreme right now. And, um, you know, talking about political issues just doesn't seem like it, it fits what we're going through. We're going through something that, um, really we have to unite. We have to get together on this and, um, you know, people who disagree, we we can agree on the things that matter the most. This seems to be one of those things. We have to agree on how we approach the coronavirus. It's killing too right. many folks. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit to our change in focus for the rest of this season and, and how we're going to approach these episodes. Right. I mean, I think that you, you nailed it on the head because right now everything has been turned upside down. And I think that it's really forced us to look at, um, you know, to look at ourselves. Um, you know, I came across this tweet by Amin Hudson. And let me see if I can pull it up because I think that he had uh, something really good to say about this. Um, and he said, if we don't come out on the other side of this, having learned much about ourselves and what's really important in God's world, then we have wasted our quarantine. This is a good time for reflection and growth to ask ourselves, what does God want me to learn in this? 
And, and here's what, and I've been thinking, uh, uh, you know, about this because, you know, as we're going about our regular, you know, easy life, relatively easy life before all of this happened, and we have the luxury of engaging in different debates and taking sides on this or that, um, then, you know, now, you know, now we have something bigger. To contend with something that I think is really forcing us to, and I know it's it's really forced me to look at what are you know what's the priorities here? What what has been my priorities? Um, you know, am I you know am I really prioritizing what's important? Um, and so even when it comes to and how we started this season out was looking at our political difference and wanting to talk through that. Well, now I'm seeing, gosh, at this point, maybe our political differences can be set aside. Um, and overall, I think that what has troubled me is when I see that partisanship still going, still working its way through you know, through through this current crisis, because look, it, you know, and I've said this before in a previous episode when this thing first first hit, the the virus doesn't care whether you are you vote blue or red, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it attack. It's an equal opportunity attacker. And so our goal here really is how do we get through this together? How do we unite together? And so there are a couple of things. I'm really seeing um, some troubling trends. I think this is a really exposed. Our, uh, one is, is how partisan-minded um, we, and I say we as Americans, um, have become in general. Um, but not only that, like how are how you know is this is this forcing us to how we look at each other as human beings? Um, you know, on in in you know as we were talking about uh, before we started recording, when I go to the store, um, you know, it's it's kind of weird to. To, you know, to, to intentionally avoid people, like to see other people as a threat. And, you know, I've, so I've taken to, <clears throat> taken to listening to your governor, his daily press conferences. He's really, I, I enjoy them. I'm, I'm not even a New Yorker. Um, but I really like the way that he has, you know, kind of, you know, taken, um, a handle on things, but also, finds ways that, you know, that reflect on our humanity. Um, that, you know, he finds ways to encourage things to, that we need to think about. And he talked about that today in today's press conference. How is this changing us, right? Because we were made for human connection. So, you know, I, when I go to the store, to be honest with you, it feels rude. It feels rude when I have to, you know, make sure I'm a certain distance from another person and then, you know, intentionally avoid them. 
Um, and I hope that when this is over, that we, you know, we make we become intentional about reversing that because we've had to walk in this mode for however long we have to walk in it. Yeah. I mean, we really have to consider how we are going to, um, hold on to her humanity through this, you know, I mean, like you're saying, we're, we're made for human contact. This is how we're designed. This is how God built us. It, we are created to be in community with one another, which is why we are working so hard to try and build online communities. And they, they just don't measure up. They're not good enough. Um, no matter how hard we work, our online communities are not going to be able to take the place of being able to embrace our brothers and sisters on a Sunday morning. Like, it's just not going to make up for it. And it's going to make us work really hard. How do we hold on to our humanity? How do we care for our humanity? And, and you know, you mentioned the grocery store. Um, that might be one of the places where we see the worst part of humanity, right? Because time and time again, we hear the stories of people who are just yelling at um, grocery store workers who are essential workers having to put their lives on the line. I'm talking literally. And they don't want to be there either. They don't want to be there. They're doing the work because the work has to get done. They're serving their community. And someone's yelling at them for being out of toilet paper as if they're the ones who bought it all. And, um, you know, we, we the worst of humanity is starting to come to the surface here. And, uh, I mean, one of the more horrifying stories to come out recently was in Texas where uh, a 19-year-old man, Jose Gomez, walked up to an Asian-American family of three um, and stabbed them all. And two of them were itty-bitty kids, a two-year-old and a six-year-old. Oh, and according to the FBI, his expressed motive was um, to kill this family because he feared that they were in that store to spread the coronavirus. Um, oh. That is a hideous, hideous hate crime. And, you know, when we think of... of that kind of racism, and that's the, the, the most egregious form that we've seen, the, the reports yeah. of the rise of hate crimes and racist acts against Asian Americans in this country is stunning. And so, um, you know, this past week, a bunch of us signed uh, a statement against um, racism that has been targeted towards Asian Americans during the COVID-19 crisis. And, you know, I'm normally not one for signing statements, but the, the rise in these kinds of just hateful, racist actions has revealed the, the darkness of the human heart. You know, we're being pressed. We're, we're under stress. We're, we're frightened. And the worst of us is coming out. And, yeah. um, and that's going to affect how we come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you where else it has really come out. So so let me get on a little, you know, bit of a, a soapbox. And I hope I don't rant too much about this. Rant um, away, Lisa. Because, I, you know, so, you know, I so I, I look at I, I rarely watch cable news. I tend to drink my news in through sort through reading and I try to read across the board. Right. So I'm just not you know, I just don't have my nose and conservative sources. I really try to, you know, I give New York Times, Washington Post, Time, Newsweek, you know, I give all of those, you know, a fair hearing. Um, probably my go to conservative news source is the National Review because they're not as 
single fat dishes, <laughs> you know, with other sources. They have oh, rights with Trump. They'll, Uh-oh. you know, they're not afraid to express it, you know, unlike Fox news which you know so of course during this time i'm i'm absorbing a lot more news so that means i'm watching more cable news i'm watching cnn i'm watching fox i'm listening to the you know to the daily press conferences from the white house and as i mentioned i've you know i've taken to listening to the daily press conferences by um by your governor and from day one, he had, not from day, maybe I, I probably, I may have missed the first few, but when I started watching them, he's, you know, his, his, uh, initial, uh, mandate was, you know, shut everything down. Then he realized, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute now. We have to, uh, you know, we, we've taken a lot of steps to, uh, you know, to cl- what he called closing the bow, but, it's you know from an economic standpoint we have to figure out how do we open that and put people back to work so he's talked a lot about testing and especially for antibodies like if you can figure out who's immune put those people back to work so pretty much every day you know that's been kind of one of his focus areas is how do we put people and realizing that needs to be well, well guess what so the uh, the folks on the other side of the aisle now here he is a staunch Democrat. I'm not, I don't like definitely uh, can't get with his stand on abortion. Um, he probably has some progressive policies that I wouldn't agree with, but in this situation, you know, he's looking at what is needed for one to mitigate the loss of life, to slow the spread, and to make sure that we that our economy doesn't come crashing down. That's pretty much what I've been hearing on the other side of the fence, right? It's this idea that we're all in this together. Well, his daily press briefings, I get the notification through the Fox News update on through you know, through Facebook, through my Facebook app. So I watch it there. And I've gotten to the point where actually today I didn't watch it through Fox because for days now I've been looking at the comments while he's speaking. Problem number one, reading the comments. I'm reading the comments. After a while I have to flip my phone so I don't see them. There's like a bunch of angry faces and everybody, you know, and the comments are, are just hideous. They are absolutely hideous about his policies, how he's a Democrat. Why does Fox have this Democrat on? Um, And here, you know, every day he tries to bring some humanity to the situation, right? And he's expressly said, this is not a time for politics. It's not a time for partisanship. There's no red. There's no blue. There's red, white, and blue, right? We're all in this together. Um... What really got me yesterday, why I couldn't even watch it through Fox today, was yesterday he announced that his brother, Chris Cuomo, who's an anchor with CNN, um, was diagnosed with COVID. Now, you would think, regardless of whether you like the guy, whether you like CNN, you would think, oh, man, that's your brother. Um, and I just, you know, just had to, I just had to see like what people were saying. And I got to tell you, the comments were absolutely heartbreaking. 
And I thought this, this is what happens when we look through the lens, we look at others through ideology first. There was an inability to see this man as, as a human being. The fact that he had a family member, a brother, right? Not Andrew Cuomo, the governor who's, you know, who's a CNN anchor, you know, brother was diagnosed. It was Andrew Cuomo's brother was diagnosed with, with COVID. And that's scary. He talked about that today. He's, you know, he did this really touching tribute to his brother and said, you know how that's scary. And there were so many comments that were just, you know, mocking and deriding. And I thought, this is, this is a problem. And God forbid if any of these people name, name the name of Jesus, claim, claim uh -oh. the name of Jesus, it were, were Christians because mm. it was really, I mean, it was just ugly. You know, and that's what I, that's what, you know, so when he talked today about, you know, how, how is this changing us? I think, you know, given what Amin said in his tweet, we really need to look at how are we looking at other people? How are we looking at Asian people? You know, is this going to change the way we look at Asian people? Is this the going to change the way that we look at people across the aisle? Are we going to embrace our, you know, our humanity, are we going to further dehumanize other for the sake of this other lens in how we view other people? You know, and and it's said, this is what happens when you look at ideology first, and that becomes your primary lens. And, and I think one of the things that's being revealed to us is that our political lens is our primary lens, and that ought not be. Our primary lens is supposed to be the lens of Scripture. It's supposed to be the the um, politics, if you will, of the kingdom of God, long before it's the politics of left or right. Um, yeah. We are supposed to be holding to a value system that mirrors the value system of Jesus Christ. And, and what do we see in Jesus Christ? He's routinely going to those on the quote-unquote other side, and, and he goes in love. There's something—so I, I, I went to Israel not long ago. And um, while we were there, we spent a few the first few days um, in the Galilee region, um, and and so we actually spent you know about three nights on the Sea of Galilee, right there at the at the shores. And it was a beautiful time. And one of the things that was interesting is our tour guide, who is a professor at a seminary in New York, um, he he pointed to a very common phrase that shows up through the Gospels where Jesus will say, let's go to the other side. Now, every time I've read that, I've just kind of assumed, well, let's literally go to the other side of the sea. It's not that big of a sea. It's not like the Mediterranean. Let's just go to the other side. I'm thinking that's geographical. But what he said is, actually, no, um, that has to do with who's, who is on that side. There's the Jewish side, and then there's the Gentile side. The Jewish side was our side. The Gentile side was the other side. And every time Jesus says, let's go to the other side, he's saying, let's go to the Gentile side of the Galilee. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what he does when he goes to the other side, he goes in love. He's healing people. 
very first time he goes is when he goes across and he heals the guy who was, um, you know, cutting himself, was filled with the with the demonic legion, and he casts them out into the pigs and they run away. And there's there's political overtones to what Jesus is doing there too. But but really, he's he's also going to love this guy. Um, it's not that far from where he would have been setting up camp with his disciples. There's even a question mark when you take all the modern whatever. Could they have heard the faint screams of this guy over there in the tombs? Because it's right on the shores of the Galilee where he does this. So he goes over and he frees this guy from those demons. And then he refuses to allow that man to come back to the Jewish side. He says, no, stay here and tell folks what's happened. The next time he goes to the other side, the sick are being brought. Um, there are people starting to show up because they want the, the loving touch of Jesus Christ because this guy who was freed apparently had been doing what Jesus told him to do. He'd been spreading the news of what Christ had done for him. Hmm. When Jesus goes to the other side, and we're, when we're talking the other side, we're talking full-blown different worldview. We're talking Roman. We're talking pagan. We're talking militaristic. We're talking everything opposite of Jesus's worldview. When he goes, he doesn't go and try and win an argument. He doesn't go and throw down and and try and, you know, force people to see things his way. He goes over and he loves them and he serves them. And that was really convicting for me and thinking through, you know, we talk about going to the other side or crossing the aisle, right? Um, you can only do that if your partisanship isn't your primary way of viewing things. You can only love people if the primary lens you have is this is a person made in the image of God. And you know what? Saved or unsaved, that person's loved by Jesus. Let's start there. And if Jesus loves that person, I need to love that person. And man, we're not seeing people doing that well. My my concern is the same that you that you said. A lot of these people who are making these comments, um, are they tuning into church services this weekend? And and do they feel like they can be a faithful follower of Jesus and think of other people in these hateful ways? Um, I'm thinking as a pastor, have I have I made it really uncomfortable for people to hate others by the way that I am preaching the scriptures? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have to I have to look at myself at that. I have to consider it and say, have I has have I made it uncomfortable for people to harbor hatred in their heart? If mm -hmm. I haven't, then I wonder if I'm doing my job in presenting the scriptures faithfully. Amen. And you know, and, and let's bring bring this a little closer home, because I think there is a way that even with our theological paradigms that we can dehumanize others, right? So if we reduce Christianity to um, you know nothing more than a set of propositional beliefs, right? And as long as you ascribe to these propositional beliefs, then you're on my side, and therefore I'm going to treat you according to how you view these propositional beliefs. Well, just like you said, you know when when God created the world, you know, and he, his, his good creation, you know, he wanted to enter into a relationship with humans. And we see that all through the Old Testament, that he condescends, right? And we know, we know that he's, you know, listen, I affirm the sanity of God, you know, he is wholly other than us, I affirm the impassibility of God. Um, but, you know, but all through the Old Testament, right, when Adam and Eve fell, 
You know, he didn't just say, okay, that's it. You blew it. You're out of here. He made them a promise. And he built on that promise, promise of Genesis 3.15 um, as he, you know, uh, you know, expanded his called out people, you know, through a, uh, through tribes and then through a nation, um, gave them um, prophets and priests and kings that pointed to the ultimate prophet, priest and king. Um, and all through the Old Testament, he condescends, he shows his love, his faithfulness, even in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness. And the ultimate expression in the, you know, in the work and person of his son, in Jesus Christ, who's the exact representation of his radiance. Um, and that, you know, that he shows us that even though he is God, you know, this is the word made flesh, that he comes and he weeps. And he's moved with compassion. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that ought to clue us in. Look, yes, it's, our theology is important. What we believe about God is important. Upholding the authority of scripture and interpreting that to the best of our ability, right? We are, in fact, we, we are not infallible right so we're not going to get everything 100 percent, but we can look at what is the church always believe and we want to strive as best as we can to um you know to in interpret the revelation of god as he has revealed himself to us through his written word um we want to do that you know as humbly as possible because that is you know that is how we fear the Lord you know not imposing our own self on it but at the same time there there's a, a holistic approach to his condensation right he didn't just give us a bunch of um, you know theories to follow he didn't just give us a paradigm it was he created male and female in his image um, and you know and gave us a mandate so that our humanity and I think sometimes especially for those who are you know I, I you know I kind of dislike the distinction between liberal and conservative Christianity like there's Christianity there's you know what is the the biblical and the historic witness of the Christian faith let's go with that right um, but those who are typically labeled conservative, I, almost like I think we have this fear that if we, you know, capitulate too much to our humanity, then, oh, my gosh, we're going liberal where it's it's a human. No, we need to distinguish between understanding our anthropology as it relates to who we are in Christ and humanism that's not the same thing as humanism right because our paradigm is always subjective to um you know to god's word and what what he he has said who he is who is who he has created us to be but at the same time we we can't fear this idea of you know like he said seeing other people you know, is made in the image of God as human, regardless of what they believe, right? Now, we want we want people to come to Christ. We want them 
to believe in the, um, you know, in the toning work of Jesus Christ um, and who he is, um, that he is a reconciler um, between us and the, you know, he reconciles us to the Father. We want people to embrace that. But at the same time, you know, man, we're, we're, we're human. And you know what? The, the effects of Genesis 3 jacked us up pretty much. And, you know, and we're seeing that. So we got to have some kind, we got to see people beyond our ideology, beyond our paradigms, beyond our propositions. Well, and when you think, I mean, I love that you're bringing the, the um, condescension of God into this. And, and that um, obviously leads us right to the incarnation, right? That ultimate moment where God condescended to take on human flesh and dwell among us. I mean, this is Holy Week. And we think about what he did for us um, in this week. And we were about to, to remember again um, the, the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He did that for us, according to Paul, while we were yet sinners. He didn't wait for us to agree with his ideology before he showed us his love. But he came to us when we were straight up opposed enemies of his ideology of the of the ethic of the kingdom of his divinity and his goodness and his love towards us we hated him in our sin and he died for us i mean if this is our savior and if we are to be disciples of this christ if we're to be followers of him then you would think that our love should be modeled after his love. Listen, I can't die for anybody. That's what Jesus Christ did for us, right? But I can love folks, and I'm called to love folks, and I'm not called to wait until we agree on something before I love them. And and my goodness, our inability to see the humanity in the in the person that disagrees with us, if Jesus saw me as a human being made in his image and worthy of salvation— while I was that wretch, then who am I to not be able to see the humanity in the person who happens to disagree with me politically? Um, how, who am I to not see the humanity in my Asian American neighbor? Who am I not to see the humanity in, in somebody who, who I, I, I have a completely different view on something like abortion? You know, I mean, how is it that we can um, agree with somebody who holds to our same view of abortion, and when uh, somebody else says the exact same thing, anathematize it. And that's kind of what we're seeing in this in this partisan, polarized mm -hmm. place. And, and we want something like this to unite us, a common crisis to unite us. But if we're not careful, the exact opposite is going to happen. This crisis is going to so drive us away from one another that I fear it's going to be irreparable. And um, we have to figure out how we as Christians and as the church can try and model building one another up, encouraging one another, and coming alongside one another in love. Um, we got to do that. And, and I am um, saddened at, at our inability or unwillingness to do that. I'm saddened to see some pastors um, treating this as if this is also some kind of uh, a partisan persecution of their faith to mm -hmm. say, hey, maybe you don't need to be worshiping together right now. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we, we have, you know, this pastor who was arrested for refusing to not have worship services. Uh, and there are some who are rallying around him and saying, see, he, all he's trying to do is hold church and they're arresting him. And this is the state coming in and, and we can have our own kind of Christendom, Christian nationalist sort of partisanship that just sees the state as this horrible, um, you know, we, we look at the state as, with suspicion, just as like we look at the person in the supermarket with suspicion. Um, oh, well, they're just uh, a threat to the church and they're coming in and trying to smash us down. As opposed to seeing actually, maybe the government is here trying to save lives and maybe we need to value that life as well. And maybe we need to do what the government's calling us to do and stay home for a while and not worship together. And, you know, I, I'm starting to hear this movement of pastors who are trying to whip people up to gather together on Sunday for worship because it's Easter and we want to worship together. Listen, Easter's going to suck, y'all. Like, I, I'm going to hate Easter this year that I can't gather with my brothers and sisters and celebrate the resurrection. Like, in our church... In a couple days, we're gonna we're gonna record our Easter service. We're gonna do our best to have a beautiful worship service for people in their homes, but it's not gonna be the same. I get the impulse to want to be together, but that impulse to want to be together should not have us breaking the law or refusing to listen to what the government is saying when it's not persecution; it's for the common good. Right. And, and let's be clear, you know, we're, we're not following this. We are, are we following the mandate because the government says yes? But there's something that's even more at stake. The why. You know, why is this? are these mandates in place? Well, because this is to mitigate loss of life. This is to slow the spread of a virus that's killing people. Listen, we have almost 5,000 deaths now in in this country um, I, for, I forgot what the total number like worldwide is, oh, but I mean, yeah. this is a lot of people and this, and let's not, you know, let's not do this silly comparison to the flu because we're talking about on top of the flu. So we're talking about people who, you know, probably would, you know, would not die had it not been for this particular virus. So we have an obligation to a higher government than the government of, of the United States. And that is, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, that is protection of life, uh, right? Thou shall not kill. And the Westminster uh, Larger Catechism, we went through that before, really, you know, really breaks it down. It's not just, hey, don't go and shoot somebody. It's no, don't do things that are going to bring intentional harm to the other person. And so when you have pastors that are calling on, you know, in light of a highly contagious disease that's killing people to say, let's, you know, we're not subject to government. No, you are subject to a higher government. And that higher government says that we need to preserve life. But again, I think this is a, a symptom if you will, of kind of, you know, treating Christianity as a set of propositional truths and it's disconnected from our humanity. You know, and I, I think we're seeing the cost of what ignoring this actually looks like. You know, I mean, we're, we're seeing, you know, just yesterday there's photos up of people, um, Maybe, maybe they feel forced into it because they're essential workers and they don't have other kind of transportation, but the subways in New York are still got a bunch of people on them. Yeah, New York um, as well, because, you know, they and, a lot of people travel, you know, via public yeah. transit. 
Tunnel. And it's crowded. There's a lot of density. I mean, what what do you do in that situation, especially if if you're an essential worker? Right. It's it's a it's a brutal calculus, right? How how do I get from point A to point B, knowing that doing so is going to um, astronomically rise my risk of infection? Um, and and so, you know, here in New York, we've we've had by far the worst numbers of any state, yeah. and. Um, we're pleading with people to stay home and yet some people can't stay home and they're forced to be able to travel places and they're, they're, they're crammed in with one another and this thing's going to continue to rise. And then, you know, and you, you feel terrible, but then you look at, you know, I, I saw pictures the other day of Philadelphia and people running along the Schuylkill river just you know not no no social distancing just out for a run and look like every day in philadelphia it looked like a regular march afternoon and i'm sitting there going this ain't essential work y'all you're not trying to get to the hospital to put in your shift you're not a trucker you're not going to the gas station to make sure people can fill up their tanks you're on a run with a bunch of other people by the schuylkill river what is going on and and this kind of um disdain for the law i mean that's really what this is this is disdain for those people that god has put in authority is keeping you from caring about your neighbor and and listening we we're seeing you know look look at what has happened out of liberty university over the last couple of weeks because they've ignored the mandate now we're hearing reports of the amount of students who are being infected by covid and um you know when, when you hear this it really does make you pause and say what is the spirit of rebellion here that is i think exacerbating the partisanship but has also captured some of these pastors who are refusing to to see the common good as more important than their political statement because and if you're a pastor who disagrees with me and is is gung-ho for easter i want i want to put this out there are you gung-ho for Easter because you really want your people to worship the risen Lord Jesus? Or are you gung-ho for Easter because you're trying to make a political statement? These are political statements these pastors are making. These are not caring for the good of their people. Because if they cared for the good of their people, they wouldn't put them at risk. And, and listen, it hurts to not be with our people. There's an ache to not being with our people. But if we do that for now, it is better than the ache of live streaming a whole ton of funerals because we weren't able to listen in the first place. Amen. And the resurrection, listen, he is risen. He's still risen. Jesus Amen. is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Amen. And he he lives ever to make intercession for us. He's still there. You know, under these circumstances, yeah, it's hard. Um, it's going to be hard not to gather together, but he is risen. Amen. Amen. And I think that's a great place to end for today. He is risen. And, and, you know, we're all going to be saying that in our homes this weekend, as opposed to together in our churches, but it doesn't make it any less true. Wait, Um, I thought Easter was the next Sunday. I know, but we are airing this on the Tuesday of Holy Week. And so now everybody knows that we recorded this before Palm Sunday because Lisa let the cat out the bag, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) So by the time you hear this, it will be Easter this coming Sunday, and we will all be saying he is risen in our homes. 
it is it is still true whether we get to say it together or not and i pray that that is a comfort i pray that that is a joy to people christ is risen and he is building his church COVID ain't destroying the church jesus Amen. will build his church we will be together again um next week you know we're gonna see what else is rolled down um i'm sure there's gonna be plenty to talk about but until then our prayer for you would you enjoy your holy week services would you have a blessed easter and we will see you on the other side god bless from family discussion well thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion if you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.